Hi there, I'm your host Macaulay Tucker and you're listening to The Macaulay Tucker Show, the podcast where I sit down with some of the most accomplished and fascinating individuals in the entertainment and business industry. From celebrities to industry leaders, our guests offer unique perspectives and inspiring stories that will educate and inform you. Join me as I sit down with my next guest to cover their humble beginnings, challenges they face, as well as their accomplishments in life. You are bound to learn something new, so sit back and enjoy the interview. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show. Today we've got a very special guest on the program, Verbal Ace. Verbal Ace is a professional uh, beatboxer and sound guy. He can make a lot of unique sounds with his mouth. He's been on YouTube for many years. He actually has 4 million subscribers. He's gone viral on the internet multiple times. Uh, many celebrities have reposted his stuff. and He's also even performed with Will Smith. I think you'll enjoy this interview a lot, so sit back and enjoy the show. So I feel like just first and foremost, like what got you started in what you're doing now? Um, you, you do voices, you do all this crazy stuff, kind of just a rundown, like what really got you to where you are today? So what made me get into beatboxing at the very, very beginning, uh, strangely enough, uh, I don't know if you remember the video game console, Sega Genesis. Yes. Um, right before Sega Saturn, I think it had Mortal Kombat on it, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, super popular. Um, and then there was a game on there called Street of Rage 2, the second one, not the first one, Street of Rage 2. It was a um, side-scrolling beat-em-up game. You know, you walk in the street and you got to beat up a whole bunch of people and then you get to the boss at the end. Well, me and my brother loved that game so much as kids that when our parents said it was time to get done playing video games, I would try to incorporate the sounds I heard from the video game into me playing with my toys. So, you know, I had the, you know, all that sound that you hear in the games, like somebody get hit in the face, that actually became my beatbox snare later on. And um, I didn't think it was anything special until in high school. I was junior in high school. Everybody was talking, waiting for the bell to ring. The teacher was like, okay, the work's done. So you guys can just chat or whatever. And everybody was talking. And I was talking to my friend, I think his name was Ricky at the time. I was like, yo, man, check this out. And I started breakdancing with my hands on the table. This is out of pure boredom, waiting for the bell to ring. So I just started doing some stuff. And I noticed the whole classroom just kept getting quieter and quieter. But I was so into whatever I was doing randomly. It was a random day, too. I just was so into it that I, I didn't even notice. And I, I stopped. And it was like one of those things, like it almost felt like a cartoon. You're like, it's, it's like a double take. You look up and like, oh, crap, everybody's looking at me. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to become a high school freak. But everybody's like, no, man, keep going. I was like, OK, this is weird. But I'll, I guess I'll keep. <laughs> you know, I was doing some stuff like that. And after I got done, everybody started clapping. And for me, it was the weirdest thing ever. It's like it's like if you picked your nose and everybody like, yo, man, we see people pick their nose, but you do it really good. So we're going to give you a clap for that. So that's what it felt like. I was like, why is everybody clapping for me? This is weird. And then everybody started talking to everybody in school, saying like, hey, this guy can beatbox or whatever. And I'm like, what are you talking about beatboxing? I'm not beating up boxes. I, I don't know. I never heard of the term beatboxing before. I thought I was just making sound effects with my mouth or whatever. So like, yeah, everybody uh, at lunch, like, hey, come over here and do, uh, do some sounds for us at lunchtime. And it got to the point where I could never eat my lunch in school because everybody wanted me to go to their table and do some beatboxing and uh eventually i started charging people i was like all right 
you can call me a jukebox. I need a quarter, a dollar or something because, you know, I got to eat too. And people actually paid me. They're oh like, my oh, God. You know, here's a quarter, here's a dollar. I think at the end of the week, I had like 30 bucks. <laughs> it was crazy. And um, yeah, so that's how the beatboxing started. Um, as far as it transitioning to YouTube, I started YouTube back in 2006, um, four years after I graduated. Holy crap, I feel old. Uh, <laughs> four years after I graduated, 2002. And um, I just started putting out just some, uh, I don't know if you know who Carrot Top is. Yes. Uh, I, I wanted to be like the Carrot Top type of beatboxer. I would have a whole bunch of props, you know, puppets, giant pencils, and just whatever I can incorporate into my beatboxing as far as visuals. I had a giant record that I would uh, scratch forward and backwards. And I, I learned that by listening to uh, every computer has a sound recording thing on there. And I didn't have a lot of games on a computer back then. So me and my brother played with that a lot. And we learned a lot of sounds backwards. So I learned how to do SpongeBob laugh backwards. So I started incorporating that into the beatbox. So I was like, let's hear that backwards. So like I started doing that and everybody's like, yo, what? <laughs> so that was like some of the stuff I started incorporating in my beatbox channel back then. Um, YouTube back in 2006 wasn't as popular as it is today. So I actually had to go to other people's channels, leave a comment, say, hey, your video is pretty cool. Uh, it'd be cool if you could check out my channel too. I do some crazy stuff. And I did this on hundreds of videos and was slowly, like a snail, slowly building up my subscribers. And um, for a while, I stopped after that. I uh, I started working at Marshalls. Um, I think I worked there for about two years. Didn't really do the beatbox thing. I had videos on YouTube, but you know they weren't really going like viral. So I started working at the Marshalls, and I was like, okay, maybe the beatboxing is just going to become a hobby. You know, somebody's like, hey, do this, just like somebody can draw, or you know, there's many different hobbies out there. So I was just like. Whatever the beatboxing is a hobby, I'm just going to work at Marshall's, 9 to 5, buy a house, get a car, be a regular person. And then I got invited to perform in New York at the 2011 Cuban Beatbox Festival at La Mama Theater. Holy crap, still remember that. <laughs> 2011 Cuban Beatbox Festival. Um, should I keep going or do you have a... No, you, you can keep talking. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so... Uh, 2011 Human Beatbox Festival. Basically, this guy named Kid Lucky, who unfortunately passed away, hope he rest in peace. Uh, Kid Lucky got together beatboxing beatboxers from all over the country. You know, beatboxers from Florida, Mexico, California. Like everybody came to this Human Beatbox Festival to showcase their talents, and that was the first time I've ever been around so many different beatboxers. So I was loving every second of it. I was like, this is freaking cool. We're all like speeding on the on the subway train and everybody's like, what's going on here? Like, uh, but I was the only beatboxer that was theatrical because as I mentioned before, I like to incorporate props, puppets and all kinds of different stuff in my routines. And everybody, I was every beatboxer's favorite because I was different. Everybody else was focusing on like their technique and style. I was the only one focusing on like how to make people laugh with my beatboxing. So I guess if this was like ancient night times or medieval times, everyone else would be the knights and I would be the court jester to come in to entertain everybody. That's how I viewed myself. So That's crazy. 
Yeah, they liked me so much. They invited me to some other beatboxers. They invited me to perform in the New York subway with them. And I was like, the subway? All right, I guess I can try something or whatever. So I started performing in the subway. So at the time, I worked at Marshalls three days a week, four hours a day. So I'm getting 12 hours a week. And my paychecks were probably like 80 bucks a week. And I try to live off of that. You know, you can't get a car. I literally was able to pay for my cell phone and maybe get a few groceries and the bus passed. That's it. And it just repeated that process over and over again. So when I performed in a subway in New York, fast forward to 2011. Um, wait, you said fast forward. What was the date? Oh, worked at Marshall's in 2009 up to 2011. So fast forward to 2011. Um, I made probably a hundred bucks, like $120, like in two hours versus the four hours, uh, 12 hours a week, you know, working at Marshall's getting a hundred and no, just no 80 bucks. Uh, yeah, about 80 bucks a week or something, but 80 bucks a week. And I got $120 in two hours from performing in the subway in New York. So I was like, holy crap. So I decided to just take a big risk here, quit my job altogether, move to New York with just just the clothes, uh, I think I had one speaker with me that wasn't even like a plug in or battery powered. It was like an amplifier. Had clothes in the speaker and basically used that to perform in the subway in New York. And I ended up staying there for seven and a half years just from performing in the subway. No job. That was my job. But uh, going back to YouTube during this time, while I was out there, I was still like releasing videos every now and then, but I still wasn't like really focusing on YouTube. But I decided to make a, a video with my brother for this idea I had in my head for a long time. So there was a show called Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's like a claymation. They take some celebrities and make them like uh, literally fight till they till the death. Uh, <laughs> it's way before YouTube. It's called Celebrity Deathmatch. Um, and they brought like all kinds of celebrities on there, like Michael Jackson versus Michael Jordan. Uh, Beavis, Beavis versus Butthead. Um, they had a whole bunch of like crazy matches on there. It was it was fun. I was like, this is a cool concept. I was like, you know, nobody's ever made a beatboxing cartoon show where it's they're not fighting to the death, but there's two cartoon characters beatboxing. And I was like, I can do voices, and everybody's like, oh, you, when you hear a voice, it's like, oh, that's cool, you can make the voice. But I was like, I can beatbox too, so why not just bring those two together? Literally make it sound like the character is beatboxing, and they battle another character. So I went to my brother, who's a he's an animator, but he does it as a hobby now, uh, with the idea of like SpongeBob beatboxing against Mickey Mouse. Why? Because SpongeBob's the main star of Nickelodeon. Mickey Mouse, or SpongeBob is the mascot of Nickelodeon. Mickey Mouse is the mascot of um, Disney Channel or Disney. So I was like, you know what? I don't even know if people are going to like it. So the characters aren't even going to do a full minute. It's just going to be 40 seconds. Uh, it's just going to literally, that episode was literally just a test. And I put that out and it slowly started accumulating views. It wasn't like a big hit immediately. Um, I think it took like, uh, this is why I'm still in New York. I think it took like four months to a year to get over a million views. And that was the only video I had that had over a million views. And I never continued it. I never continued the second episode or the series until two years after the first one. Why? Because I was still focusing on performing in New York. 
I was trying to make it as a beatboxing DJ out there, the first beatboxer to uh, incorporate visuals. Like if I make SpongeBob's voice, you'll literally see it pop on the TV screen at the same time. I was like, there's DJs out there, but nobody's doing what I was doing. And uh, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Yes, I I, I, I'm a Christian, actually. <laughs> okay, cool. So I think everything happened for a reason because as hard as I tried, I was incorporating so much music equipment. I kept upgrading. I started off with a little speaker. Then it became a bigger speaker. Then I got a podium booth with my name on it. Then I started bringing in different machines. Then I upgraded my speakers again. Then I started bringing in more machines. Then I bought some lights in. I kept adding all this equipment to my subway to like really make me stand out. And then I brought in a whole 42-inch TV with me. This is all me traveling with um, a big cart, bringing it down to the subway. So when people saw me perform, they got a full-on show. Lights, music, visuals, and it's all live with me beatboxing. And I would make a lot of money down there, but I wasn't going anywhere. Wasn't going anywhere at all. Like people loved it, but I wasn't like, yo, man, we want you to perform at Ultra Fest. Hey, come to Electric Forest. We think you're really cool. You know, I wasn't getting any of that, which is where I wanted to be. I don't know if you ever seen those concerts where the DJs, you know, rise in the beat. <laughs> Put your hands up. <laughs> and, you know, the audience is going crazy. You can't tell if somebody's having a seizure or dancing or whatever. Like, I wanted to be a part of that so bad. So that's why I kept, like, doing electronic music, beatboxing, and just I kept adding all the stuff in there. But I never went anywhere with it. And then one day I meet this girl, and uh, um, it wasn't a serious relationship. But my heart thought it was. So I tried to do everything I could to make it a serious relationship, ironically making myself trapped in that relationship. So once I ended that, I was like, no, this isn't exactly what I want it to be. And I knew I was going to be depressed because the relationship wasn't that way. So I was like, you know what? Let me just start focusing. I'm here at the house. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and think about all the things I could be doing if she was with me. But I'm not focusing on my career. So let me just put out some YouTube videos. So I just started focusing on YouTube a lot. This was in uh 2016 now so from 2011 to 2016 i just been doing subway stuff met the girl got my heart crushed so now i decided to just focus on uh youtube stuff but i didn't have a computer for editing or anything and keep in mind the first episode of cartoon beatbox battles is still there but i'm still not doing anything with it but i am focusing on youtube now so i started just putting out remixes of every song that i grew up with or everything I grew up with, Ninja Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, Mortal Kombat, um, a few Michael Jackson songs, Star Wars. Like I started just putting out everything I grew up with as a child and doing beatbox remixes of it. And my Star Wars beatbox, Darth Vader, somehow got the attention of Disney and Google in a good way. <laughs> um, they reached out to me and they were like, hey, man, we want you to be in a Star Wars commercial. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, right. Are you serious? Okay. So um, uh, they they uh, flew me out to California. They wanted me to bring that, that LED light-up jacket that I had in the YouTube video. And they thought it was cool because it goes back to my 2011 performance. Uh, when I first came to New York, they liked me because I was theatrical. Like other beatboxers, they would just like stay 
in the zone, trying to impress you with their technique. How low can they make their voice the bass? I was just making funny faces, pointing at random things and being very theatrical in my performance. And they loved that. So they wanted me to be in the Google Star Wars commercial. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, this is freaking crazy. Um, I did the commercial that same year. Um, actually, wait a minute. No, I got the timeline messed up. Uh, this happened in 2017 or 18, one of those years. Um, and 2016, that year where I broke things off with that girl, I, my friend works for Southwest Airlines, and he's able to get me a, a boarding pass for free as long as there's a seat available on the plane. And that means you're going to be the last person on the plane. So I was like, man, this sucks. I'm probably going to be in the middle seat or in the very back row. So I went up to the people working at Southwest to try to bribe my way <clears throat> into, you know, getting a first first person on a plane. I was like, hey, if I show you some sound effects, do you think I can actually buy a boarding pass? And the guy's like, yeah, man, what do you got? And I was like, oh, you mean like money? He was like, no, let me hear the sound effects. Oh, okay. So, I, you know, I showed him my cricket sound. I don't know what that's like over here, but. It just sounds good. Video. Oh, thanks, man. Showed him my video game sound. <laughs> Game over. Oh, man. Uh, I just started showing them a whole bunch of random sounds, cell phones. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, sorry, that's Taco Bell. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it's vibrating, but that's not. That's coming out the other end. That's gross. And they liked it so much. This is summarized. They liked it so much. They put me on the intercom. I beatboxed. The whole airport heard it. It it it, it went crazy. I posted it on Facebook and only got forty thousand views. I posted it on Instagram. I don't. I think it got like maybe five thousand or whatever, and it just stayed there. That was in twenty sixteen. Um, so fast forward that I'm still focusing on YouTube. I got the Google star Wars commercial. Uh, this is in 2017, 18 now. <clears throat> and, uh, I got paid like 10,000 for the commercial. And that's the most money I've ever gotten in my entire life. Because I mean, if you think about it, I'm just making money from performing in the subway. I think the most I've made in one day was $448. And that was me staying out for six hours performing in the subway trains. And uh, so $10,000, I was like, holy crap, I don't want to waste it on, because I was like, no, I don't want to buy a new PlayStation. I don't want to get a new TV, some new clothes. I'm going to actually invest the money back in myself. So then I was like, you know, the only video I have on YouTube is that has over a million views is cartoon beatbox battles. So let me go to the website Fiverr and see if I can find another animator and finally make a second episode. It's been two years since I made the first one. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna go to Fiverr. I found an animator on there. Unfortunately, the animation looked horrible in my opinion. Um, I think this person was used to just doing like presentation kind of stuff because if you watch the, I hate the second episode. Second episode of Cartoon Beatbox Battles is Pikachu versus Groot. Um, despite how bad the animation was, uh, it still got over a million views. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And I think it's because people really like the concept. You don't see cartoon characters beatbox battling against the other character. And um, the way I do the voices too, like if I just not put my voice behind the character and just literally make the percussion sound, you know, do that and have it animated, technically it looks like the character's beatboxing. But I was like, no, I want the character to actually sound like it's beatboxing. So I I always do this thing where I hum and beatbox at the same time so it sounds like the character's voice. 
So instead of SpongeBob just going, all right, check it out. I'm like, no, you got to, you have to have that uh, in there so people can hear the voice. So I'm going, yeah. Because you can hear that. So it literally sounds like SpongeBob beatboxing. And same thing for Mickey Mouse. His voice is behind it the whole time. So I did that same concept with Pikachu versus Groot. The animation sucked, but it still got a lot of views. And I was starting to make uh, what I made in the subway on YouTube now. It's like, oh, man, so I'm, I'm going to start focusing on this more. So I found a better animator um, who did the third episode of Cartoon Beatbox Battles, um, Pennywise versus the Joker. And to this day, that is my most viewed episode of Cartoon Beatbox Battles. It almost has 100 million views. I'm like, holy crap. And then, like, when I posted it, everybody was saying, this is the best animation for beatboxing. I mean, I got different animators now. We're still constantly improving the quality. But um, that's kind of like the long story. I didn't summarize that at all. But that's the long story, transition. Uh, me working at Marshall's, uh, moved to New York, started performing in New York, put out one episode of Cartoon Beatbox Battles, met the girl, didn't work out, started focusing on YouTube videos because it didn't work out. Landed the Google Pixel Star Wars commercial. Used the money for that commercial to reinvest in Cartoon Beatbox Battles. Uh, and it started growing my channel since then. <laughs> That's really crazy. Yeah, there's a lot to cover there. It's really, I find it really <laughs> fascinating hearing your story. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think your listeners will yeah. really enjoy that. Um, and kind of going back to when you were younger, um, you actually played with a lot of toys. I know one of the toys that you played with was kind of one of those, that farmer toy that makes the uh, the noises uh, that, you know, recreates the animal noises. Um, and you you talked about how you actually, uh, you oh, wanted really? to have that toy uh, when you're older. Can you kind of talk about the, uh, the impact of, uh, of toys kind of, uh, with your with your voices um i know you also you worked at uh, kb toys for quite a bit um oh, and you worked man. at kb yeah. toys for a bit um and so that must have been even cooler because you're with the toys you can kind of do some stuff with that can you kind of talk about the significance of kind of like the toys in your journey to where you are today you know when i worked at kb toys i was actually the assistant manager there and oh, i would wow. purposely walk around with my keys the jingle the keys to people so people know the manager's coming. The whole crowd, the manager's coming. I would what's going on over here? Hey, like, nothing. We're working, sir. I wasn't a bee manager. I, was, I just like doing that. But you know, it's crazy. When I worked at KB Toys, um, I think I only beatboxed occasionally. It wasn't I wasn't uh wasn't really influenced by the toys or anything. Cause I think um when I got promoted to be assistant store manager, I, I had the mindset of like, you know what, I'm probably gonna end up being uh I didn't know KB Toys was going to go out of business. Again, right. everything could, you know, happens for a reason. Um, I think if KB Toys didn't go up out of business, I would probably be store manager and probably still try to work my way up because I'm still kind of a big kid. I love collecting toys. I bought a lot of toys there. Uh, I think I got some Invader Zim toys, a lot of Nickelodeon toys. I was like, man, this is freaking cool. I'm just going to have it here and just turn my room into like a 90s kid vibe or whatever. Um but yeah, when I worked at KB Toys, I never really um, beatboxed that much. But years prior to that, when I was a kid, um, I would always, <laughs> I would always have a theme song for a particular toy. So like my huge Power Rangers was very, very huge for me when I was a kid. And um, I don't know if you know about Jason David Frank. Unfortunately, he passed away. Yeah, original Green Ranger. Um, a lot of people don't know like how much 
him and I talked. Yeah, you met them at Comic Con, actually. Yeah, we we were really good friends. Like, uh, we talked on the phone a lot. Uh, we sent uh, video and audio messages to each other on Instagram. So it was very hard for me when I oh. found out he passed away because I dressed up as him when I was a kid. I dressed up as the Green Ranger, and um, I would always do like my own beatbox theme song, not showing anybody, just keeping it to myself as a kid. I was like, oh no, here comes the Green Ranger. You know, I would do like a beatbox or whatever. Um, but interestingly, my snare for beatboxing back then wasn't a or a sound or the sound. My snare was like a sound. Like a like a weird, like a weird race car or something, like a so my snare will be that was my snare the sound it was very weird um but yeah uh when i was a kid i made a lot of sound effects for my toys um i never really beatboxed with my toys though i wish i beatboxed with um it's a very old toy that was my favorite called the speak and spell whereas yes spell caravan Z A H Ron. Try again. Spell. I remember. The, I remember the crap out of that toy. I played that toy all the time. And you know what? Not not last year, but the year before that, I actually bought that toy for my brother for Christmas. He's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> I got him the speaking spell toy. I don't know where I found that. I think it was on eBay or something. But um, you know what? That might be an idea for a future video. The speaker speaking spell. It's red. I don't know if you know what it looks like, but it, it's like red and the buttons are yellow and um, it, it literally speaks each letter A, B, C, D. Everything has this uh, voice to it. E, L, G. Like, yeah. So, like, yeah, I got a beatbox. I got to find that thing and do a beatbox with it. Speak and spell beatbox. Yes. Um, yeah, that was probably like one of my favorite toys I remember. The Ninja Turtles. Um, as far as like you said that farm toy, I was like trying to remember what. Yeah, when you were a kid, you actually had a farm toy. So it's basically, uh, I believe it was uh, Fisher Price or something, but it's got a little arrow in the middle. And it that, moves yeah, around. is that the circle thing? Yep. Yeah, yeah, and then you pull the string, and then it spins around. It's like yeah, like, you had that as a kid. I remember you were saying back in 2016 that you actually wanted, if you had that today, the stuff you could do would be crazy. Oh man, yeah, I remember that toy. Got a beatbox with it or something. Yeah, I, I gotta keep doing stuff that other beatboxers aren't doing that's yes. like the goal like why blend in when you can stand out that is like exactly. my that's my thing i kept saying to myself for a long time why blend in when you can stand out that's why like uh carts and beatbox battles started because i was like you know if you you do see beatboxing snippets in cartoons adventure time uh you know they had a little snippet of characters beatboxing in there i think finn and jay i think the name of the characters right. yeah there's like a, there was a beatbox part in there and the simpsons there's like a small beatbox part in there um literally like almost every cartoon there's a very small part of beatboxing even the spongebob beatbox very horribly when the the episode of the crusty crab pizza yeah that like, crusty that crab pizza. Pizza. yeah it and is the pizza for you and me. <laughs> he was like doing he was trying to beatbox and i was like Come on, SpongeBob, get some rhythm in there, man. <laughs> and um, so I was like, you know what? Nobody's ever made a full-on show about beatboxing. That's yeah. right. 
<laughs> it's really crazy, man. Like you've done so much. And I even kind of going later on you uh, in high school, you were actually interviewed on TV. And so that was pretty cool. That must be a pretty crazy experience for you as well. Being interviewed on TV well in high school. Yeah. Um, and you grew up listening to classic rock as well. You were into music a lot. And so your, oh, yeah. your father introduced you to classic rock and you oh, yeah. even later on uh, worked on several music. Uh, I know there's a, there's a song out there that my, my people might not know, but there's a song called Squidward's mix that you worked on as well as a song called bump. And uh, you did these all back in 2011. You know, uh, there was some music you did called uh, Corrupted, you know, Corrupted Data Realms, all that good stuff. So you were you were around, you were working on music for quite a while. Um, you found you the even, SoundCloud yeah, account. Oh. You even, uh, you even uh, opened for uh, for some guys like uh, uh, KRS1 and even... Uh, KRS1, yeah, Method so what, Man, yeah. Bones and Harmony. Yeah, like old, old school hip hop heads. Yeah, yeah that must that must have been fun and like kind of like with that question like you you knew these artists what, what was your relationship with uh and still is your relationship with like music artists out there um like that have you worked with any have you opened for any have you done any stuff with uh, music artists yeah you know what uh i'm glad you asked that question because um it kind of brings me back to because i mentioned the airport thing for a reason yeah um so i performed at the airport in 2016 got 40,000 views on facebook 5,000 on instagram and just stayed there now, uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff on YouTube uh, from 2017, well, still today. 20, you know, I've been focusing on YouTube a lot more. Um, starting in 2016, I started going ham on YouTube. And um, what happened was, like, I was uh, – hold on, brain fart. We're sorry. We're so okay, hold on. 2016, okay, airport, yes. So – um, I started focusing on Instagram a lot more too. Right. And um, I found this app called Volico, which is really cool, like to beatbox. And, you know, nobody's done this. Uh, again, I'm trying to like stand out, not blend in. So uh, on Instagram, I've been using that to promote my YouTube channel and stuff like that. And then a friend of mine, Adam Andrew Corey, showed me this app called Volico, where you, you have all these cool vocal effects on your voice while you're beatboxing. So I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. Let me experiment with it. And I did. And I was like, this is really freaking cool. So again, I started beatboxing things from my childhood. And I started uh, beatboxing a, a video game called Tetris. I did this Tetris <laughs> yes. beatbox in this, uh, with, with the Volico app. And I put it up on Instagram. It was, I think it was like a Thursday night or something. And I just left it there. I didn't think much of it. I go back on my Instagram the next day and I thought I got hacked. Because there was nines everywhere, ninety nine plus hearts, nine hundred ninety nine plus friends or added friends, uh, nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine notifications. I just saw <laughs> nines everywhere, which is scary. Right. So imagine going to Instagram and just seeing nines everywhere. Something oh. what the heck is happening here. And uh, I was afraid to click on stuff, but I checked my inbox, and it was like I had a whole bunch of messages. And uh, I clicked on one. I think this guy's name was Soul something. I forgot. But he was like, yo, man, Pete Rock shared your video. You're going viral right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I clicked on Pete Rock, who's another old school hip hop head. Uh, he sings that song, They Reminisce Over You, one of my favorite songs. Um, and he shared my Tetris video. But in his description, he put, this dude's voice is crazy. He didn't say I used the app or anything. I was like, oh, man. So I was like, yo, man, thanks. I actually used the app for the vocal effect and um, never got back to me. So the video was still going viral. I was like, oh, man. 
and Buster Rhymes saw it. He shared it. Oh Tim my Timberland saw it. He shared it. I was like, yo, what's going on right now? So when Timberland shared it, I knew I'm a Timberland fan, one of the people I grew up with uh, listening to. So I did a Timberland beatbox. Um, oh my gosh, I can't think of the song right now. Uh, but it was that. I ain't got no money. I did like a beatbox with that song. And he liked it. He shared it. He's like, yo, shout out to my boy, Verbal Ace, for doing the song. Justin Timberlake saw it. And uh, I was like, oh, what, Justin Timberlake? So I did a Justin Timberlake beatbox. And that one broke the internet. I don't know if you saw that one. It's the one I was going, yeah, that one was everywhere. People were making memes. I made that for Justin Timberlake. And he liked it, shared it. And he started following me. And so you made uh, it like for him? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I made that for him. Like, you know, because like at the time, like when I found out people were following me, I started doing a beatbox of like one of their popular songs. So I did Timberland. And when I found out Justin Timberlake was following me, I did the Justin Timberlake one. And uh, that started going viral. So I since, since I had all these new followers following me on Instagram, I was like, you know what? Uh let me repost that video I did at the airport for Throwback Thursday back in 2016. So I reposted that video, hoping like maybe people could see I did this cool thing at the airport. And after I reposted that, um, it started going viral again. And Will Smith saw the video. And I was like, what? And he liked it. Actually, no. So this is what happened. Um, I reposted the video. Same thing. I went to sleep, woke up the next day. My manager was like, holy crap, Will Smith just posted your video. Uh, he's like, uh, crap's about to get crazy. He's not using the word crap, he used the S word. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's like, stuff's about to get crazy. And I was like, yeah, right, man. Will Smith didn't post my video. And I went on this Facebook. I started scrolling down. Didn't see anything, didn't see anything. And then I saw my video, and I, I literally screamed. I, it's the first thing waking up in the morning. Instantly had a migraine. I was like, yo! Oh! <laughs> So like um, after that, I was like, yo, I commented on the video. I was like, yo, thank you so much, man. And then he replied. He's like, yo, you are the man. And then he posted another video of me the same day. And it was the Tetris one. <laughs> yes. He posted that one. And um, I was like, yo, what is happening? And in that video, he said he was obsessed with me. So since he did that, since he said he was obsessed, um, I started getting a whole bunch of requests for interviews. The Kelly Clarkson show, the Pickler and Ben show, the Steve Harvey show. Yeah. Uh, I went on tour with Rascal Flatts. I surprised Will Smith that year. Um, at That year, he was promoting the movie Aladdin. Um, and uh, they flew me out to London. I was a surprise for him. And crazy enough, Will Smith reacted to me the way I would react to him if I saw him. He was oh like, yeah. like he was so happy to see me. And I was like, what the heck? This this seems like it's a weird, like vice versa thing. I should be reacting that way to you. But since I was a surprise for him, I had to stay in performance mode. So uh, <laughs> yeah, man, that helped my channel grow some more too. And uh, I'm really close to um, five million subscribers on YouTube. Like, it's really crazy, close. and you've gone um, like so far. Yeah, there is. So there's a little bit of um downside to all this stuff too so one is i started getting a whole bunch of haters out of nowhere yeah. and a lot of people uh i guess i can say my celebrity friends because um uh gary lavox the lead singer of rascal flats 
Uh, he told me he's never looked at his comments. You know, I'm like, why? He's like, well, because, you know, there's people going to hate you no matter what you do. And it's either envy, like they could be stuck at a job. They could have a bad day. And they see somebody doing something that they wish they were doing. So, like, you know what? I don't right. like this guy because he's doing what I want to do. So I'm going to leave a negative comment. So right. um, how'd we'll, you go through that? How'd you go through um, that? It was, it was very weird at first. Cause I wasn't under, you know, that's the first time I encountered that. I'm like, why are people hating me when I'm just putting out hmm. content for everyone to enjoy? And I'm trying to motivate people too. I'm like, Hey, look, I'm a regular guy. I decided to follow my heart, pursue my career. You guys can do the same thing too. But I got a lot of haters for some reason. And it was Will Smith's son, Trey Smith, shout out to Trey. Um, his first son, he actually said, I don't think there's such thing as haters. I think people are just projecting their negativity onto you. Right. He's actually really smart and very philosoph uh, philosophical guy. He's uh, I've learned a lot from talking with him. And uh, he's like, yeah, uh, there's no haters. People are just projecting their negativity onto you. So just don't even pay attention. Don't give any energy to negative comments. So I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I kept on going. Other bad thing about, I guess, uh, being more successful is cartoon beatbox battles. So you remember I told you like I had all these other videos. I was focusing on my childhood stuff and just putting a whole bunch of like cool videos on YouTube. Right. When cartoon beatbox battles got super popular, unfortunately, now that's like the only thing a lot of majority of my followers want to see on right. my YouTube channel. So if I spend a lot of time editing and putting out something I'm really passionate about and it only gets a certain amount of views because it's not cartoon beatbox battles, it is really discouraging. And yeah. that's kind of like the thing I'm struggling with today because um, I'm still like I'm doing everything I can to keep my YouTube channel active. Like I'm trying right. to post like, other videos entertaining. The animation style I decide to go with for cartoon beatbox battles is very expensive. Yeah. Uh, Every episode of Cartoon Beatbox Battles, I feel like I'm buying a car. Oh, That's wow. Every episode's like $30,000, $34,000 to produce every one of the episodes. That's bonkers. Yeah, and they take about three to four months to produce. So I don't want my channel to be dead between yeah. the three and four months. So I'm trying to put out different content um, in the meantime. But because that content's not Cartoon Beatbox Battles, it's not doing as well as Cartoon Beatbox Battles. Right. So what I'm what I'm hoping for and I'm putting this energy out to the universe is I'm trying to find something else that can go just as popular in between cartoon beatbox battles to keep my channel active, whether it's me doing more Tetris beatbox type of thing or me doing a backstories of cartoon beatbox battles. Like I'm trying to find that niche. So yeah. uh so like yeah, the cartoon beatbox battles was so successful. Unfortunately, a lot of kids, that's the only thing they want to see. I'm like, you guys, yeah. if I wasn't here, there would be no Cartoon Beatbox battles. So, you know, it would be nice if you support the other stuff so I can continue giving you guys what you want. But if you don't watch it, then it's like, you know. Yeah, I yeah. get that. I get that. <laughs> it it, it kind yeah. of it can be like that for me, too, because I mentioned earlier when I was introducing myself, you know, I, I do music as well. And I equally enjoy yeah. that as what I do now, which is interviewing people. And I yeah. find that sometimes people aren't really, you know, like, oh, go check out, you know, the music stuff, too. Uh, but it's, it's just crazy. Like, you know, your relationship with people. I know which I was like, this is so cool. Mike, yeah. Michael Winslow, you met him, too. And that must have been a really crazy experience as well. Like um, meeting him yeah. and yeah, and also uh, Robert De Niro as well backstage. Oh, meeting Robert De Niro was crazy. Like uh, that was in 2008 at the New Victory Theater. I was on tour with this breakdancing group called Knucklehead Zoo. Shout out to Knucklehead Zoo and my boy Abenomar, Steve, Jason, or not Jason, Ricky, 
yeah, <laughs> uh, Leo. But like, yeah, I went, I went on tour with them, and I was, uh, I was like, kind of like an intermission part. I was definitely part of the show. Right. And Robert De Niro took his son there, and him and his son wanted to go backstage to meet the beatboxing guy. And uh, <laughs> I saw everybody crowding around. It's weird, like when you right. always see somebody on TV versus seeing them in person for the first time. Oh. It's, it's almost like you, I didn't recognize it. It was that same experience for Will Smith. Like I had to adjust my brain and my eyes. I'm like, holy crap, this is Will Smith in front of me. And I was like, okay, he's a regular person like me. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm it. But when Robert De Niro approached me, um, he walked up to me and like, he was like, "You guys, you you the one making all the beatboxes?" And I was like, oh. "I mean, mm, yes, yes, that was me." He's like, "That's pretty good. Let's take a picture." And I don't know if you saw the picture, but I tried my hardest not to look excited in the picture. I'm in the picture, like, you know, my eyes were open, <laughs> hell wide. Uh, I looked really excited. I looked like I looked like I saw a ghost and I was happy about it. <laughs> so yeah, and then uh, meeting Michael Winslow um, wasn't as great as I thought it was gonna really? be. Really? Yeah, the first he was time your I idol. Him, I thought. Yeah, the first time I met him was in 2008 at Palace Station uh, in Las Vegas, and um, I saw his show. And uh, it was very, 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 very loud. Um, I think their their concept is if the louder the show, the more you'll be entertained or whatever. He did yeah. like this segment where um, the microphone was turned up very loud, and Ooh. he did like the voiceover for like this short clip in a Star Wars scene. It was like a scene in Star Wars, and uh, yeah, like the echo up, and he's like, <laughs> you know, it was like crazy, and I was like, man, this is very loud. And then when I met him. I got his autograph and I showed him my alarm clock sound and he immediately got in the character. He's like, ah, and he turned it off. He like, he did this and I, I turned it off too. And uh, uh, I, I met him again in fast forward to 2014, 13 or 14. And I saw his show and I was like, I wasn't impressed. I was not oh. impressed. Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, literally watching this show like, like this, like, uh, like, is this, like, I don't know. I just wasn't impressed. Like he did, he did this thing where he was playing the guitar. Cause you know, when you, when you see his movies and stuff, you think the sound is actually coming from him. Right. And then I saw like, he has like a pedal on the ground and his pedal, it had a whole bunch of like vocal effects on it. Oh, so Dang. Uh, yeah. So he's able to make his voice sound like a guitar by pushing his foot on this pedal to get that grunge uh, lo-fi kind of sound out. Right. So, he, so he sounds like a guitar. I was like, oh no. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what my reaction, I was like, oh no. And like, he did this thing with the microphone where he's like, Argh! and like, he, it was like a quick thing. Like there was like a monitor speaker there and he was doing like this. And then he did this, he did, he did like a quick back and forth thing, putting the mic on there and then putting the mic towards his, towards the monitor. And I was like, what is that all about? <laughs> it was like a quick ah. thing. It was like, ah, ah, like he was pretending to be uh, Jimi Hendrix playing a guitar. Right. And he like doing like a guitar solo with his voice, but then he pointed the bike to the monitor. And I was just like, what is that all about? And like, I remember leaving the show and I was like, man, I don't, I'm not that impressed. Yeah. I thought ah. most of the sounds was coming from him with no vocal effect, no pedal or anything. It's kind of like if I did my cricket sound, 
you'll find out that I actually have a device in the back of my my throat that I bring forward yeah. every time to do the sound. So like, you know, he still is a great beatboxer, great performer. But the I, I have to say I was a little bit discouraged when I saw the pedal there. It's kind of like, I guess the best way is to describe it is like, if you want to go see a magic show, and then since you have a side view, you see how the magician does all his tricks. He's still a great performer, but now that you know how he does all his tricks, you're not that impressed anymore. Right. So I, I still love Michael Winslow. I still love Spaceballs. Um, <laughs> as his movie, um, Police Academy, or yeah, Police Academy. But like, um, once I saw that, I was just like, oh, man. Yeah. It's not authentic. It's not, you know, it's not yeah. legitimate in a sense, but yeah. it's still good that you were able to, you know, leave this and like, you know, I can, I, I want to be successful. I want to try to improve and become, uh, you know, yeah. better at my skill. And just looking through doing my research, it was just awesome to even see going back to your time on the subway. You were at one point considered New York's favorite subway performer uh, by, yes. by an outlet. Yes. So that just must've been a crazy experience for you having that. And one thing that I was like, that's so random. You got hired by local Dunk, uh, Dunkin' Donuts franchise to bring people to <laughs> stores. Yeah, man. Crazy. Oh my, I opened two stores uh, in New York uh, from, you know, they put me, I would be outside performing and uh, I would just be help bringing people in. I was like, Yo, check out the new donuts. Homer Simpson. <laughs> you know, I was just doing all kinds of stuff. Christ in a clown. Oh, yeah, we got the, uh, you know, I was just doing all kinds of crazy stuff to find a connection with Dunkin' Donuts. And it was nice, man, to perform outside instead of being in the subway. It, it was really nice. I felt like Batman coming out of the Batcave for the first time. Yeah. Um, and there's been moments I, I haven't saved on my phone or on my Instagram. There's been a lot of moments where, um, the cops have stopped me from performing because nobody could walk. Every I packed out the entire subway station because everybody wanted to stay there, watch the show, party, and have a good time. Oh, my God. It was freaking nice. Times Square, I packed it out. Uh, 14th Street, Union Square, nobody could walk anymore. And, like, the cops were like, hey, man, um, you got to pause your show for a little bit because nobody could walk through. They didn't tell me to stop. They just said, you know, let the crowd disperse for a little bit. So I waited and maybe like only 15 people left because <laughs> uh, I was waiting, but it stayed packed most of the time because everybody wanted to. It's weird. Like, you know, yeah. normally when you travel the subway, you want to just commute and get to where you're going. But I made everybody hang out with me. It was yeah. so freaking cool, man. Um, and then um, since we're talking about the subway, I have to talk about an embarrassing moment. In New York, they had this thing called No Pants Day, where people were walking around just in their boxers. Girls were walking around just in their panties. It was crazy, right? So they ended their movement in Union Square, where I was performing. I had a huge crowd. I was surrounded by a whole bunch of people in their boxers and their and their. I was like, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm I'm performing right now. I'm in performance mode. Let's go, Peter. And yeah. So, you know, I was doing my thing. And then at the end of the performance, I was like, yo, hey, you know, I was giving props to the crowd and everything. And then one guy's like, yo, man, take your pants off. I was like, take my pants off. And the entire crowd was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the entire, the entire crowd was cheering for me. Like to take my pants off. And I was like, well, I'm a performer, you can't disappoint the crowd. So here they go. And everybody <laughs> started screaming, going crazy because I took my pants off. <laughs> it's weird. It's like, 
It's like, you know, when you normally when you get pants, everybody laughs at you, you know, whatever, like the bully thing. Yeah. You know, I, I pulled the pants down and everybody was cheering. I was so freaking embarrassed, but I was still part of performance full. So I was like, yeah. I was like, nobody saw this. <laughs> and everybody started laughing. But yeah, that was the coolest and embarrassing moment I had in New York. It was like no pants day. And um, I believe that clip is still on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> I'm surrounded by, I mean, it was nice. I was surrounded by a whole bunch of girls and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'll have to find that. That's crazy. Oh. Well, one thing I've always wondered is if you were, if you would ever go back and accept the time that you would go to America's Got Talent and actually say yes. That's one of my th- I, questions. That I was like, oh, I wonder if you would, uh, if you would ever say, you know, hey, yeah, I would love to go to America's Got Talent. I know you had that opportunity. and <laughs> I, I've done America's Got Talent uh, multiple different times. Yes. Uh, first time is within 2007. Um, the judges was Simon Pierce, Sharon Osborne, and David Hasselhoff. And, you know, uh, Sharon Osborne was, uh, I wish I had my crazy train routine back then. But, like, <laughs> oh my God, that would have impressed all of them. But um, I was still developing myself in 2007 as a performer. And so I came out, was beatboxing. Um, but because I was like literally the last contestant, I was there from 7 a.m. to 2 a.m., 14 oh hours. And they were just Xing out everybody because they wanted to go home. So I had a routine. I was going to beatbox with my puppet. I couldn't even get to it. And at the time, the judges would say the most rudest and meanest thing to you to get a reaction out of you because mm-hmm. that would be good news for them. You know, you clap back at the judges, you know, next time when America's got talent, watch Verbal Ace go ham at the judges when they say, <laughs> When they say you're not, you're not really a black guy. You're just tan. I don't know. Like you know, they just, you know, they just, they say all kinds of crazy stuff to you just to get a reaction out of you. So uh, I didn't even get to the puppet. I barely did something with the puppet, and just like, ah, ah. and I was like, all right, I'm done performing. And uh, David Hasselhoff said, well, after your routine, I think you need to go home and give your puppet mouth to mouth, like CPR or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, I think Simon Pierce was like, you know, after your routine, I kind of feel like how your puppet looks. And he was just dead on the oh. chair forever. And I didn't say anything. I, I was just there. So the judges looked very horrible because I didn't react. To them. Uh, Sharon Osborne was the only one that said, you know, I think you're really talented. I think maybe you just need to find a way to tell a story with your beatboxing or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Because she was, she was the only one that would actually give constructive criticism. Right. But David Hasselhoff and Simon Pierce did not. Uh, yeah. so when I went backstage, the producers behind the cameras, they were, you know, he was trying to make me sad and I wasn't yeah. sad. I was just like, uh, he was like, this is pretend like, uh, I can't use this as a camera or whatever. Just pretend like this is a, my phone's a camera. And he's like, I was like, okay, so you came all the way out here and you didn't make it. You got X off stage. How do you feel? And he kept shaking his head. No, like he wanted me to cry or something. Oh. And, and I said, I was like, you know, I'm, look at every single successful person who've made it before this show even existed. So my message to myself and to everyone out there is like, you know, don't let one thing be your only, you know, path to success. You know, uh, I think it's Ralph Ralph Waldo Emerson who said, um, there are many paths, go where there is no path and leave a trail. I can't remember the exact quote, but I, I said it at the time. And because I said something so positive and motivational, they didn't air me on TV at all. Oh. In fact, that was cut entirely because oh. 
I was talking crap about the company. Because think about oh, it, I was, no. saying, like, I, I was saying like, hey, people can make it without this show. And they don't want to hear that. They want to hear, no, you only need to go on this show to make it. So they cut right. me out. And then fast forward to 2013, I think it was, they... I had a video that went viral of me performing in the subway train, literally inside the train, making everybody laugh. And America's Got Talent reached out to me, and I was like, I really don't want to do it. They're like, well, why not? Yeah. I told them about my experience in 2007. I said I had to wait really long or whatever. And they're like, we, they made a promise to me saying, you don't have to wait. We'll make sure you're there, time and everything. First day, I waited for eight and a half hours. And um, I told the producer, like, look, if I go on stage, they're going to X me out. Why do you say that? Like this is this is exactly what happened before. Right. I go on stage. I'm gonna get xed out because the judges are human beings. They're here for a very long time, and they want to go home. This is exactly what happened last time. So they took that into account and sent me home and wanted uh. me to come back the next day. Next day, I waited six and a half hours. And what people don't know is the judges aren't in charge of the show. The producers are. The right. producers tell the judges who to pick, who goes on the next round. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, they just don't tell the judges what to say. It's unscripted dialogue. They just tell the judges who to pick. You ever notice, like, if you watch America's Got Talent, the stage, sometimes the stage is set up and the presentation is so well done that they can't get X'd out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, pay attention to, like, how much production is behind certain acts. And you'll recognize that, um, that certain performers have to get pushed through because you know the company spent so much money in production like that one japanese guy um i forgot his name but like he he did something where like they set up a whole screen behind him and he interacted with it yeah just you'll you'll see so yeah. the producers are the ones who are really in charge of the show so second day on there uh when i finally make it on stage the judges actually apologized to me for having to wait so long and that's when it instantly clicked in my head. I'm like, okay, judges aren't in charge. The producers are. Because yeah. the producers probably said, went up to the judges before I came out. I'm like, all right, this guy was here yesterday. Uh, this guy was here in 2007. He had a horrible experience. Uh, he was here yesterday. We sent him home because we didn't want you guys to, you know, X him out due to, you know, fatigue or whatever. Um, so, yeah, we got to put him through. So that's what I immediately put in my head. So yeah. I did my thing. I performed. I asked the audience, has anybody seen me before? The entire audience. No, not the entire audience. A majority of the audience cheered because they seen me perform in the subway. Right. I actually got voted through, and they said, all right, you're going to Las Vegas. Oh. And it wasn't exciting for me because I lived in Vegas for 14 years. So right. I'm like, okay, cool, I'm going back to Vegas. Um, so they said I made it, and then two weeks later, they called me and said, so the judges picked too many contestants to go to the next round, oh. and in order for the show to run its normal course, we had to cut out a lot of people, and unfortunately, you were one of the few selected oh. out of the show. Um, but we want you to do some. We want uh, you to do something in Times Square with Nick Cannon. It's just going to be oh. you and him. It's going to be an exclusive thing. This is a lie. Um, oh. So the judge and a lot of my friends said they cut me out of the show because I didn't have a sad sob story. Yeah, yeah no, I heard that. Yeah, shows, they're like. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to get off the street. I'm doing this for my grandmother. She has stage 20 cancer and only goes up to stage four, but she has stage 20. You know, you got to have a sad story. You got to have a sad story. Right. So um, they said I can do something with Nick Cannon in Times Square. And I believe that video is also on YouTube. Yeah. Nick Cannon. Um, 
What they didn't tell me what I was that I was going to be in a segment with a whole bunch of other performers in Times Square, and they didn't even list my name. I just looked like some chump off the street with a speaker. <laughs> uh, so Nick Cannon's that whole segment was like, "Yo, New York is just busting with talent," and they would show like a guy juggling, some guy on a stick. It showed me beatboxing for three seconds. Then it cut to somebody else. Then it showed oh. some other people. Then it showed me again for two seconds, and that was it. It didn't show my name. Didn't say who I was. It wasn't an exclusive interview with me and Nick Cannon. It my total time on that show was five seconds, and that's when I told myself I am never, ever, ever going to beatbox, audition, or do anything for America's Got Talent again. I'm gonna make it without it, without them. That's crazy. Your your yeah, life is just is absolutely like it's just crazy yeah. hearing your story. And I yeah. kind of like the question I always ask my guests uh, guests to conclude before I before I challenge you is yeah. what do you want to pass on uh, to the listeners just that they can apply to their everyday life? Like your crazy your, your story is just crazy and it's so interesting. And I think it will definitely help and educate these the young people and people in it listening in general. But what is one thing you kind of want to pass on to the listeners that you think will help them a lot? So the message I would pass on to literally everybody, whether you want to be a YouTuber or have a career and just literally anything, a gamer, Twitch, whatever, um, you know, you see people like PewDiePie, Jacksepticeye, and, you know, all these big YouTubers, and you might get discouraged and think like, man, I could never make it that. But you got to realize they were all regular people too. Every right. single celebrity out there too came from nothing. Everybody came from nothing. I came from nothing. Look at me. I worked at Marshall's. You know, so like you never know your own potential until you really test yourself. And the biggest message I would say for everyone out there is, you know, don't try to fit in with what everyone else is doing. It's because everybody gets this mentality of like you see a trend of something that works. This is this example can be purely seen on TikTok. How many videos of TikTok where you see everybody's doing the same concept? Everybody's using the same viral song, the viral video shot that you know everybody wants to do the same thing and people too many people are afraid to create their own original thing to stand out and that's why i love goofy a goofy movie so much because uh there's a song in there by powerline called stand out i don't know if you know that yeah um, I, I know that song yeah even if i got a shout out loud yeah oh man i love that movie but yes don't be afraid to stand out and don't get discouraged if what you're doing isn't working. You have to be like a scientist. And everything you do has to be an experiment. Look at the results of your experiment. If the, if the results aren't what you like, then change the chemicals. Change the experiment. So whether it's YouTube video, you put out a YouTube video, it doesn't work, switch it up and try something else. If you're right. doing a talent and your talent doesn't get many views, switch up the talent. Or, you know, take feedback from your audience. You know, there's... So many possibilities for you to get to where you want to be. You just have to not be afraid to make a change. That's awesome. Th thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that with our listeners. And yeah. thank you again for coming on, on the show just to talk about your life. And it, it's just so awesome mm -hmm. hearing your story. So now I mentioned before. All right. See you later. The, ch <laughs> <laughs> the, ch the challenge. The challenge. So I, uh, I, this is actually inspired by what I was going to do for a uh, a YouTuber's Discord Got Talent show. I actually got accepted for, for it, but it's been delayed. And so I wanted to test you with this. So basically the talent that I was going to do was basically recreate create a scene that they give me 
but only do sound effects. So if they say like a person talking, it'd be like mumbling. So I wanted to test your skills and give you a crazy scenario and you've got to recreate it just okay. with your mouth. So this is the scenario that I was going to do. And it might be a little bit complicated, but it's a woman at the dentist venting about her recent divorce while she's getting her wisdom teeth removed. And the, and the guy doing the, the removal of the wisdom teeth is kind of miffed and she's just rambling on. Okay. And you got to recreate that with only sounds. <laughs> it's so challenging, but all right, let's awesome. see what I got. Let's see what I got here. <clears throat> all right. Lady at the dentist. She's complaining about a recent divorce divorce. She's getting her wisdom teeth removed. The guy's just kind of letting her ramble on. Yeah. And he's, and he's so, doing it. He's doing, he's getting the wisdom teeth removed while she's rambling too. Like, all right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. Hold on. Mm, okay. <laughs> is she crying because of the teeth removal or is she crying because of the divorce? Nobody knows. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, I need you to spin. I need you to spin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you understood that part. Yeah, because I was thinking like audio-wise, I'm like, okay, so if for people listening to the audio, how are they going to visualize it without seeing my face? It's challenging. Because I, I can act it out, but just to go off the of sound effects, how are they going to know? Yeah, it's challenging. Gonna, yeah. This is like, whose line is it anyway? I don't know if you've seen that. Show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, also, I also have a picture with, oh, Wayne Brady's following me too. So, that's uh, crazy. Yeah, no, that yeah. that's awesome. I was just gonna try test that out, see what you can do. But yeah, thank thank you so much for coming on the show. I think yeah, I, I gotta get your uh, I gotta get your contact info. Yeah, no, I'd love to stay in touch, man.